welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Game Ball Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Schuster, who's not actually hosting today. Joining me are Mark Myers and Jonathan McHugh. We're going to be talking Final Fantasy VII Remake, all of it. We're, we're going to be spoiling everything, so I hope you're prepared. This is a spoiler cast. This is your last warning. <laughs> um, so, Mark. Yes. What are we talking about? All right, so... I thought it was right for me to uh, drive this spoiler discussion just because the two of you have way more experience with the original Final Fantasy and all its little subsidies um, than I do. Uh, So I thought it would be a lot easier to um, hear you guys bounce off each other without having to worry about hosting duties. Um, Because I I think it's going to be a lot more fun for the audience, for the veterans um, to talk about it. Speaking of that, we are going to spoil everything i'm talking final fantasy 7 the remake the original game uh we're, crisis core if you guys have played that um mm-hmm. you know advent children um which i haven't watched so you two have which is why um most of my stuff from advent children comes from watching spoiler cast um and dirge of cerberus maybe i don't know it's there it happened you know we should acknowledge <laughs> yeah, it there's very little that happened in dirge of cerberus <laughs> that we're going to talk about <laughs> But, yeah, we we are going to do uh, spoil everything. If for some reason you're really sensitive to spoilers uh, about anything Final Fantasy VII, um, uh, even I might touch on some stuff in ten. so, you know, be warned on that. But, um, you know, be warned. You know, yeah, we're, we're not just sticking to the remake. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely something from ten we we're going to talk about. Yeah, so can't yeah, stick to the, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, we're not just sticking to the remake. That's the thing I want to add to Tom's. So um, I want to start off with, um, obviously, uh, this is a game that's meant a lot to definitely the two of you. I played it through when I was younger. Um, But just describe your history with the game and how many times you've beaten it. And, you know, you don't have to give a number, but just sort of, you know, just let the audience at home know your sort of, quote unquote, expertise on this game and story. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a lot of, of background with the original Final Fantasy VII, played through it numerous times, beaten it, beaten it a number of times as well, um, and watched other people play it a ton of times. So I know the story like back to front. I've seen Advent Children, although it's not that story you wouldn't think was very important, but apparently now it is. Well, as we'll come to find out. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a Final Fantasy VII fanboy. It's my favorite game of all time. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my very biased opinions. <laughs> John, I seven when I was um I liked it a lot, but I never finished it myself. Um, however, I uh, more relevant here is that I really liked Final Fantasy thirteen and Final Fantasy fifteen. Okay. Um, when I played Final Fantasy fifteen, my main thought was, man, this would be such a good game if only the combat was more engaging. And so, <laughs> remake is just fantastic for me yeah yeah i actually think all of us on this podcast were fans of 13 or offshoots of 13 surprisingly yeah i'm i may have the hot take of i'm a big fan of 13 2 more than 13 we don't talk about the third game because it's absolutely trash but (laughs) (laughs) the um yeah so my my experience same as yours um i i beat seven once twice um, I know I played through it a bunch the first disc and a half. Um, I think I get through the biggest spoiler um, that everybody knows from 
uh, that we'll talk about if they're actually going to go through with that um, uh, going forward. But um, yeah, more so I've beaten every Final Fantasy um, from six up, um, excluding 11 and 14, obviously, they're MMOs, um, and including Lightning Returns. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mark, you think, a, that... X, you think X2 is bad? <laughs> God, Lightning Returns is terrible. Um, just because the end, I, I, I literally, it, this isn't a 13 spoiler cast, sorry, but I want to get off on this tangent. I literally flipped off the screen at the final <laughs> cinematic. <laughs> And it just, uh, anyway, um, thankfully I didn't do that for this game. I, I was worried I might when things started to turn. But, um, yeah, so that's basically my history. Is I, I have more history with this 10 than anything. I think I've beaten that four or five times. Um, and you own it everywhere. And I own it on everything. Um, it's it's I find it a lot easier to, you know, get through a sitting, uh, you know, playing it. Seven, you got to remember all the materia stuff and um you know 10's a little more straightforward um in, in terms of getting learning the mechanics and remembering them um in that case and um you know i i i wish that they can be able to if they could remake 10 like they did seven here in terms of combat i think it would be amazing but um not here nor there uh so uh before we get into deep spoilers like talking like you know as maximilian dude said on his on the podcast he's been on, there's like levels of, you know, <laughs> deepness you go into this story. Um, I just want to get your guys' opinion first. We'll start with John this time. Um, what was your overall thoughts on the game? Like, as you were playing it, you already mentioned the combat, but, yeah. you know, in terms of, of story and just the presentation, what was your non-spoiler, you know, thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think um, the main thought I had on the game is that um, uh, Roche is best girl. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in that opinion, and I, I think everybody will agree with me. <laughs> um, no, uh, so my main thoughts were um, that I, I love the game, but I, I wasn't so crazy about the movie, um, the like spinoff movie that they did about it. So um, we, can, we can get into that later, but... Um, Yes. Sorry, I was getting a drink, or I would agree with you with Roche's best girl. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so uh, more specifically, I, I like low-stakes stories, and so um, I loved the like first 90% of the game, where um, it's clear that the heroes are like way in over their head, and um, there's a lot of good moments that really humanize all of them and um, make them interesting characters, um, but then the very end is not that. So I wasn't as keen on it. Um, I have, I now have over 60 hours in the game, and I've gotten almost beaten everything again on hard mode. Um, so I, I definitely really enjoyed it. Um, some of those fights on hard mode are very, very finicky and precise. Um, but yeah, we'll, like we'll, we'll talk about Triple H in a little. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Tom, uh, so I really enjoyed this game. Um, I mean. As, as a fan of the original, I feel like it hit all of the story points it needed to. Um, when it when I first saw the end of the game, all I could think was, you know, Kingdom Hearts. But we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but overall, I really enjoyed the game. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the battle system. Um, I for I'd say for the first third of the game, I was still trying to figure it out, trying to feel it out, see how what worked best for me. 
And towards the middle and the end, I feel like I got a, a much better handle on it. It was definitely a learning process. Um, but uh, between the the story and the the visuals, the visuals in this and the music in this game are just incredible. I didn't I didn't think that they would be able to uh, pull it off just because everybody's had such a such a hype around this and it's been building for you know since 2005 i guess or what what year was that e3 that they showed for the ps3 was that 2003 i can't even remember it's been so long um think but yeah the only thing i'm sure of is the years for this game the first year this this, was shown this was 2015 so even five years of build-up can be very difficult for a game but i feel like it lived up to the hype it it pulled off things that it shouldn't have been able to um there are themes in the in the original game that you would not be able to get away with now and they managed to figure out how to how to make them work in a uh 21st century world and i was really thrilled with that um i i guess we'll we'll just jump off there mark if you want to get yeah. on to the next thing because i yeah, I'll just, about this forever. yeah real quick my thoughts on it the the combat system is is so engrossing that it's the main reason i never go back and play games on hard or new game plus um the only reason i did a persona 5 for a little bit is so i could get listen to the japanese voice acting um um so you know the the fact that this game i went through eight chapters you know obviously skipping cutscenes and all that uh just showed how much I really enjoyed the gameplay. I think the music is the best part of this game. Um, there's a lot of music cues that um, you really don't notice until, you know, a second time around or someone points it out to you. Um, and I think music is something that is very important in, you know, movies, um, games. And uh, I, have a, I have a deep feeling, you know, and a strong opinion about television use of music. So I was glad to see that they, you know, were able to take the soundtrack and expand on it. Um, and I know we all love the stamp song, so I, we don't even have to discuss it here. Um, I, Mark, assuming you had us come in on hip hop to joke about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to send, I'm going to send that to Tom so that he can, cause hip hop to joke about is the greatest song. Um, that, yeah, it is, that'll, that'll be the intro for this for sure. <laughs> oh man. There, there's so much about it. Um, the main thing I want to touch on you guys before we move to the next one is the most important issue of the entire game is, um, does Tifa know how to hold a cat? No, no, she doesn't. Okay. Nobody in this game knows how to hold a cat. Can we get? Can we just get that straight? <laughs> Trying to watch Wedge hold a cat was like like pulling teeth. I couldn't. I was like, what is he doing? He has like six cats. And he doesn't know how to hold any of them. I didn't notice that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, she sort of she sort of holds it like a um like the cat's like in a sitting position. It's a it's a it's a pretty good photo of it. But Wedge like he holds him like a teddy bear. <laughs> like the three of them um like those cats probably hated that yeah. um but uh yeah so it, the atmosphere the the storytelling um some of the characters which we'll get into whether they're all going to come back or not or theories i have about one certain character um that i heard from a spoiler cast and i would love to see it going forward um yeah it, it's it's the best game it's going to be pretty hard short of cyberpunk being ridiculously good of games that I see coming out this year that could pass this as game, my game of the year. Um, but, you know, I've been surprised in the past. Hell, the last two um, number one games, I think, all came out in, like, November, December. So, um, or I didn't play them till then. 
So who knows? But this game is amazing. I was I beat it um, as fast as you could beat it while um, you know uh, trying to do other things. Um, there were nights I was up to two in the morning, three in the morning, you know, going through it. Uh, so yeah, I, it's a highly recommended. I think all three of us would agree with that. Um, just from a gameplay perspective, you know, we'll get into the story and where we differ on that. But the number one question I have before we get into our uh, chapter thing um, that we had been discussing in the pre-show uh, was uh, which boss in the game did you like a lot and which one would you to steal from They Call This Movie you would like to tell to go fuck itself? <laughs> um, so the one I would like to tell to go F itself is wasn't even really a boss. It was the um, the fight with the electro suit um i forget what they call them electro suit elites oh. the one where you have the armor and you destroy the armor and then they turn into the roller skating dudes that roller skate around you <laughs> okay for what right. yeah yeah for whatever reason i must have died five times five or six times trying to do that fight and this was right after like arguably the hardest fight i'd say with um hojo's experiment and i feel like i had way once i re- remembered that you had to put on star pendants for that fight um that that one wasn't too terrible uh but right after that you go into this fight with these elites and they were just kicking my ass i don't know i don't know why the i don't know why it was happening but they they just wrecked me over and over and i would it i must have gotten super lucky on the last time because i it was just really hard and i wanted to i really hated it my favorite boss though um it's probably apps the first time i don't know if i forget i always forget what what they call it abzu abzu yeah. Uh, yeah that was probably my favorite boss uh just because of how they were able to take the original boss and give it such a scale um in the original game it doesn't seem that large in comparison because it's a third per it's a, not a third person game it's a you're seeing it from the side or the back but in nice, but- what was that jonathan an yeah, isometric, right? Yeah, so in this, you have a third person, so you get an actual sense of scale from the monster itself, and I, I thought it was a really good, really well put together boss. Yeah, John. Yeah, so um, I think the hardest. So I played this um with a friend as well, and uh, we both agreed the hardest boss is not a boss. It's the room full of dogs that you have to fight as Tifa oh. and Aerith. Oh, oh I yes. forgot about that. <laughs> because, so the thing with all most of the with all the bosses in this game is that um, there's a number of like specific things you need to know in order for the to do the boss fight. And if you know those things, almost all of them are pretty straightforward. Um, and if you don't know those things, then you will absolutely die. Um, however, and the dogs are the most finicky one. Because, so, for people who may not have done this or don't remember, um, because it it, it doesn't even register on, like, easier normal mode, but on hard mode, it's insane. Um, There's a room, when you're playing as Tifa and Aerith, you walk into the room, and a bunch of dogs all come out of their cages and rush you. And the thing is, um, neither Tifa nor Aerith can take many hits, and there are literally ten dogs attacking you. If you, so you have, um, what I had to do to beat this is be controlling Tifa, run into a corner, perfectly time casting Blizzara on the dogs in the center of the group attacking Tifa right before it attacks so that they will be staggered 
and then um, um, move Tifa so that she doesn't get killed, and then cast are on the next group to scare them so that you can then um, kill the first group before the second group stands up. You get the point. It's yeah. extremely tight timing. That's the yeah. worst one. So in that fight, I equipped um, Deadly Dodge on Tifa, and I literally just dodged and dodged and dodged and tried to hit hit a couple times. And towards the end, I um, I like I would just try to focus on one or two so I could stagger it and get rid of it. But once I had Deadly Dodge, she could hit, and you have it leveled up enough. When after you dodge, it'll hit multiple enemies. It won't just hit one. So that was like my plan <laughs> was to try to get her to hit like four or five of them at once and stagger them so I could get rid of them. Yeah. But yeah, that was I forgot about. I tried. I guess I blocked that out because <laughs> it sucked. Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, the thing with with I'm going through hard mode is I've just beefed everyone up. Anybody when I know they're going to be in the party, I just throw a bunch of HP ups on people, <laughs> which is probably the bad wrong strategy. Um, so, but John, wh- which one did you like the most, and why is it Roche? <laughs> it's not my favorite boss fight. Um, <laughs> no, my favorite boss fight is this relates to what you just said. So I was watching some like no damage um, boss fight videos and speedrun boss fight videos, which are really good, and I recommend people um, look those up. They're fascinating to watch. Um, the one of those videos uh, had like a recommended strategy for beating the boss rush. Um, on on hard mode um, for the first time, and their recommended strategy is you put fury rings on uh, Cloud, Aerith, and Tifa. So for people who don't know, um, the fury ring starts everybody with the berserk status effect, which means that you deal 30% extra damage and take 30% more damage. Yeah. And it just so happens that if you have everybody um, kitted out right, um, that damage buff is enough that you can uh, just completely nuke every single boss um, so that none of them can hit you. Because, of course, if they hit you, you die. So I tried this a couple times. What was that? Glass cannon. Yeah. So um, I tried this a couple times. I did not succeed in beating the boss rush. But um, my favorite boss is fighting Fat Chocobo with that strategy because (laughs) um, you just stagger him immediately and um, then just wail on him with Tifa and... There's also a way you can chain stag, um, chain stuff so that all of your characters are constantly regaining ATB. So you have Cloud and Aerith casting nonstop Fyragas, um, as well as Tifa cast, uh, using nonstop True Strike to keep buffing your stagger damage. Um, that's how I got over 300% stagger damage on an enemy. Yeah. And um, you just beat the crap out of this guy. It's very fun, I, very satisfying. I do have to say Tifa was my favorite person to control besides cloud it was just so it was very satisfying to mm-hmm. get up close and just deal that much damage without without because most of the time they're not when you're tifa they're not focusing on you they're focusing on cloud or or somebody else who's dealing more damage per hit but i feel like tifa was uh very fun to play at yeah, so my the boss i hated the most and i think it was because i wasn't equipped well enough or had at that point um enough understanding on certain things i learned as it went along was um i i the hell house was a hell of a uh thing i think it took me three times to beat them um because i played on normal like an idiot me and john were talking about that there was no trophy for normal so <laughs> why not just play on easy uh so 
you know, that one, it just bothered me because both times I got down to the very end and then it would kill me. So I had to do the whole thing over again. I think it was just that that made it the worst fight for me. Um, then I tried it on hard and that is a motherfucker. Um, <laughs> I just to spoil Tom a little bit, cause I don't know how much you'll go into hard mode. Uh, the hell house starts spitting out things. Um, and one of those things is tonberries. Oh God. I forgot about the tonberry fight. Fuck that thing too. <laughs> oh, you got this room full of tonberries at, depending on how bad you are at staggering hell house. Um, and I didn't, I haven't watched the videos or the strategy on how to beat it, but I just kept, every time I was getting close to doing something well with the, with, with, with Hell House, all of a sudden it'd be like chef's night, boom, you know, dead. I was like, fuck, you know, and then, you know, <laughs> I got to raise cloud and not, not having items makes that fight for someone not as good at video games as some people, um, you know, uh, really screwed me over. Uh, but I think, I think my... Um, I think my favorite boss fight, um, uh, to be honest, and it's it's weird uh, just for the spectacle of it all. Um, I really enjoyed Sephiroth um, at the end, um, just because uh, it was the first time when I learned how to block and parry correctly in a fight. Um, I was doing it periodically, but it was that fight where I finally learned the strategy um, and counter stance and all that and just it all together and it just that's when the combat went from being really good to like god tier um <laughs> when i was able to put all the pieces finally together in the final fight of the game um but yeah I, I really enjoyed that i think i died once near the end when it's that dps race at the very end mm-hmm. um if, if you you know especially first i would imagine second time through it won't be as bad because your guy you you'll be more leveled up um in terms of hp um but then again, it could deal double damage for all I know. Um, that one big move. Uh, but yeah, I really like that fight. I like the whole theater around it um, with the, the girls coming in. Um, I think that's also tied to affection meter. I'm not sure like which one you get first, um, well, whether it's Aerith well, or Tifa. Let's find out who who came first for you. Uh, Aerith. Okay. It must be because Tifa came first for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was... That was fun. Um, I think that was one of the great things about this. They took all the boss fights, um, and some of them you remembered uh, from the game, like Airbuster and all that, Ab, you know, Abzu, and, um, you know, just blew it out and just made it these epic battles um, that were reminiscent of the giant battles in 15, you know, um, when you'd have these large creatures um, just, you know, that uh, were fun to fight. And, yeah, for the most part, I think I think I think they did really well with the bosses, um, and it's it's going to be fun to see for the future. Um, you know, for someone that you know hasn't played the game much, um, Tom, you might have more of a thought on this, but I want to see what they do with the weapons. You know. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, we'll we'll have to see about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Why I yeah. don't know if they'll be there. Yeah, but the uh, because those were grand scale in in the in the original game uh so anyway let's 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 go in and we're going to deep dive my plan is i cut the game up into chunks um just so we can stay on a little more focused of a conversation instead of doing a hey how about this hey how about that hey how about, you know and just um not keeping you know um 
you know, on, on, on kind of a, on kind of a rail here. Um, we'll, we'll go off on tangents and you can jump ahead to other chapters if you think something's relevant, but, um, I want at least for the people at home to follow along. Um, so we'll open up with, um, I think the easiest chunk to split it into because, um, it's just a run up to that second bombing run. Um, you know, right from the opening of the game all the way up until, um, you know, right before you go into the, uh, the reactor um, for, uh, you know, pre-airbuster fight and all that. Um, so uh, for people that probably played the opening of this game, Tom especially, um, you know, on the original or probably seen other people play it, um, what, what did you think of the, the first chunk of the game there? Uh, I thought they did a great job as a tutorial and um, just, just matching the original game. Cause I think that was everybody's uh, like real, they were really worried that in the beginning it wouldn't feel like final fantasy seven. I feel like they nailed that in the beginning uh, to kind of ease your mind uh, for the rest of the game to come. Um, and they also did a pretty good job of explaining, you know, how the battle system works um what you should look for when you're fighting bosses and things like that i feel like they did a really good job at least in in that department the story department obviously was pretty much word for word of what the uh, original was um at least in the the first bombing mission until you get to the end of the first bombing mission and then um they throw a curveball at you which was pretty a pretty interesting one at that uh where they your bomb doesn't really do anything and then Shinra decides, oh, we're going to blow it up anyway. And they pretty much put a self-destruct on on the uh, on the reactor. And it's something you've never seen before because it in the first game, in the original game, it just blew up when you when you when you put the bomb there. But um, it kind of made Shinra more of a bad guy because they were not only um, you know sucking the planet dry, but they were also killing killing their own people and uh destroying stuff that would help the the people of midgar um and it became a uh propaganda thing almost almost like a big bad in in most games um but i thought that was really interesting that they would they would go to that length obviously from the first game they went to that length anyway later on but to show them do it so early was pretty interesting and john what'd you think of that first bombing run i did, how, did you play the demo a lot, or was this yeah, I did play. Yeah. Uh, When I played the demo and I saw that part, my thought was that it was a like weird and useless change because, as Tom Ar- um, already said, um, and the it has the same effect as the um, play drop, but and so it seemed weird to like add an extra scene that does the same thing, like setting up that Shinra doesn't care about Midgar. Um, but then when I replayed the game on hard mode, um, it was interest or that suddenly seemed better that, um, combining that and, um, and the plate drop and the, um, uh, destruction of the, uh, sector five reactor, all of those things together, like give a really strong characterization that, um, Shinra like was going to make these things happen, um, regardless of, what avalanche was going to do um it it makes and that it's makes it clearer that they just don't care about the city because they're planning to abandon it anyways um like there's a point i think this is in chapter four the jesse section 
where yeah. somebody says, man, it's going to cost them so much money to rebuild. And when you have played through the game and you have heard the scene later where they say, we're not going to rebuild. We don't care yeah. about this place. Then suddenly that line is a lot better and um, adds more to the story. Um, another thing I... Um, another thing I want to mention is um, I really like Cloud's characterization in this. Um, yeah. His So in both the original game and in the remake, um, Cloud is not a super cool badass guy. However, um, but he pretends that he is. And so I feel like this game does a better job of making it clear that that's a facade that he's putting on. Um at least in the early, at least in this like early section, yeah, um, all of the Midgar sure. stuff. So, um, for example, like Cloud says all of these uh, callous and to him badass things, um, like I'm only here for the money and whatever. But um, from the way that the other characters react to him, it's clear that like they know that he's just being an asshole, <laughs> and also the way that they constantly catch him off guard when they ask like normal questions. Um, yeah makes it it makes cloud seem more human and vulnerable um my i was talking to a friend and he pointed out that this is a really really good change from noctis um well so first of all so uh i think anybody who's played more than one game with character designs by tetsuya nomura knows that he has like three characters that he does um (laughs) they're sora riku and kairi yes and so um Noctis and Cloud are very similar character archetypes, but um, with Noctis, he's dark and brooding and a uh, male protagonist. However, um, he doesn't have a lot of growth like that, um, and he seems very not real, whereas um, all of this stuff with Cloud does make him seem a lot more like a real person. Um, another thing that I'm, I was trying to figure out where this would fit in best, and I, I think this is probably a good spot, um, I when I was playing on hard mode, I was playing with um, different voice acting because I was skipping all the cutscenes and I didn't care about the dialogue because you know I'd heard it. Um, and I, it seems like the um, I really like Barrett's character a lot better in the other languages because um, in the English voice acting, it seems like their direction for the English voice actor was sound like Mr. T and just be. <laughs> um, a and just yell all the time but um in the french voice acting this is mostly with the french voice acting um and it's also kind of in the japanese voice acting it seems like their direction was more um that he is a overzealous revolutionary surrounded by people who are like on board with his cause but just not anywhere near as enthusiastic or um about it as him and haven't read as much like theory as him and yeah. um, so in the English scenes, Barrett seems like a caricature um, because the the voice actor just stands out so much and um, the delivery doesn't seem very realistic. But in the other languages, the delivery is cartoonish, but it's in a it's cartoonish as an archetype that we're familiar with. Like, um, uh, I really liked the French voice acting. And so in the French voice acting, he sounds like this zealous French revolutionary yelling viva la revolution and yeah. stuff like that which is great um so yeah 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 Ju- jumping on with with that um I think your whole point is correct in that 
you get that sense from Jesse's reaction when he's doing that whole speech in the elevator and how she just looks over at Cloud and sort of just shrugs like, here he goes again, sort of, you know, reaction to him doing the, you know, where you shit and all that stuff that he yells. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that was the direction that I think the writers were going for. And I think maybe the American voice director didn't really catch on to. Um, I think they just wanted him, like you said, I think that's the American version of a revolutionary. It's what they see as somebody that just screams and hollers a lot and, you know, sounds tough and, you know, deep brooding voice, you know. Um, and, you know, they, they played they played that throughout the game, but I, I, I might go back and do some uh, on your advice, you know, with some other uh, voice acting to just see if those nuances come up more when it's a different kind of voice in there. But uh, for me, you guys said basically everything I had to say about that first bombing run there. It's, it's one of those things where they had to stick to the original while expanding a little bit uh, just because they needed to give a cue to the audience that, hey, no, we're, we care about this. You know, we're not going to fuck it all up, you know, in the beginning. Um, we can have the discussion on the ending when we get there. But, um, you know, they needed to ease the people in and go, hey, yeah, this is what you remember, you know, sort of doing all this. But the one thing I wanted to jump on before we go ahead a couple chapters, um, there are two great moments that I didn't pick up on until hard. And one I didn't notice until somebody pointed it out in one of the other spoiler casts that I listened to. Um, uh, the first is the, the opening with Aerith when she's, you know, uh, with the Mako, you know, uh, coming out of the pipe, um, that the, the bars of that song, I believe is one winged angel. Um, yeah, they, they play the, the Sephiroth theme while she's standing there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a whole implication of things we'll get into later, um, with Sephiroth himself. But it was a cool touch and explained like how well they did with the music stuff and all. And, um, you know, and it, it will touch on a lot of that stuff um, as we go through. But the, the main cool thing that I didn't notice until we went I went through on hard and I'll get your guys opinion on. I think the whole introduction of Sephiroth really early, um, a signals a change in the story um, and B was really well done and had a lot of little Easter egg things that you don't pick up until the second time around, or at least for me, um, is that when you're walking with the fire and all around following him, that the left side of the screen is all Nibelheim, you know, uh, that you're, that, you know, the town on fire there. I didn't notice that. Maybe I didn't have the camera facing that way, um, you know, catch that. So they're doing a lot of hinting of stuff, you know, with Sephiroth um, already in chapter two of this game. Um, So, uh, just the the opinion I'd like to hear from you guys is what were your thoughts on them introducing uh, Sephiroth so early, and um, you know what did you think um, uh, how his character came across in the beginning? Well, go ahead, Jonathan. One of the criticisms of this game I heard and that I agree with is that um, it doesn't ever. Let me back up and start from the other direction. <laughs> I think this game is a great um, like does a good job of introducing itself to new players who have not played either any other Final Fantasy games or specifically Final Fantasy VII, except for the fact that they don't tell you who Sephiroth is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like yeah. one throwaway line where I think Cloud says, uh, or I think it's, no, I think it's like Aerith says um, Sephiroth, the war hero, but that's it. Other than that, they don't give you 
any context for who this person is, what his connection is to Cloud, or why Cloud is having visions of him. And I think it's fine that they don't tell you what his um, connection is to Cloud, like what his true connection is. But I think it would have been really good if, um, like right after that scene, in the um, when you first get to Sector 7, if somebody had, they had had just like a couple lines of dialogue establishing who Sephiroth is, just um, something really simple like Cloud saying, oh, he's a, a war hero and I um, that I met once or something like that. And we'd okay. be like, okay, Cloud, obviously that's a lie. There's definitely something bigger going on. But um, I, yeah, I feel like they could have done a better job setting up who Sephiroth is. I, I agree with you. I, as a, as someone who has played the original game, it was surprising to me that they brought him in that early. And at the time, I was thinking, I just kind of shoehorned him in here. I don't really get it. Um, he didn't really need to be this in the game this early. But then I was like, at the same time, um, it's only Midgar. You never even talk about... And Sephiroth is the main, basically the main villain in the game. But he's not introduced until almost the end of Midgar um, in the original game. So they had to kind of figure out a way to get him in there. But also, now seeing the end, it makes way more sense why he was there in the beginning. Um, so it it bothered me at first, but once I got to the end of the game and figured out what the hell was going on, at least somewhat, uh, it made a lot more sense. So we'll go into in-depth at, at the point when Tom, what Tom is talking about, but I just want a yes-no answer um, to see if we're all in the same mindset. Um, do we agree that the Sephiroth that's seen in this chapter is a future Sephiroth or some non-Sephiroth, you know, you know, it's not the Sephiroth from the original it, game? Right. It's not the same Sephiroth, for sure. Not, a lot of the Sephiroth you're seeing is not the same Sephiroth, but yes. John's the game that I'm listed in, and so I, I don't really care. I'm sure they will clarify in a later <laughs> game, but it, I'm very, very much tuning. I was just very much tuning it all out. Okay. The best, the best part is that you're tuning that out is that it's all anything anybody's talking about right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I did not listen to the same spoiler cast as you, and I think that's probably why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. The I I I I agree slightly with with. with Jonathan, and that, you know, if you didn't play the first game through multiple times and, you know, absorb all that stuff about Sephiroth, his introduction here doesn't really have an impact. Like, playing through it, you know, when you were younger, you know, and most of it, or maybe even beating it, you know, you know who Sephiroth is, and you kind of have a vague idea. Um, but, you know, essentially, I think, I think their biggest failure here was not... Um, was being too vague when Cloud and Sephiroth were talking to each other, you know. Yeah. You know, they he said, "I killed you," you know, and that was it, you know. And you're yeah, like, Ooh. like, oh, like you're supposed to be dead, you know. Yeah. But yeah, like I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil something about the original game right now. Go ahead. Um, yeah. the Sephiroth you see throughout the game in the original game is also not Sephiroth. Yeah. So this isn't a new concept. Um, it's just played out differently um so we'll get i guess we'll get to that later but yeah i just wanted to point out that the sephiroth you see most of the way through the original final fantasy 7 is also not sephiroth so this is kind of it kind of plays to that a little bit too yeah and and then they do better references to that without actually explaining it 
again, there are certain things, mostly at the end, you know, the last third of the game, where it was like if you didn't play the original, some things just went over your head. And Which if you did fine. play the game, and if you did play the game, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, the last thing I want to talk about, um, you know, uh, which is why we get into, um, which is the first instance of where um, they introduce the actual Cloud backstory, but you don't know it yet, um, is at the end of this, when he jumps on the train, you know, to go back, the one soldier goes, hey, wait, are you, like, sort of recognizes him? Yeah. You know, before he jumps on. And that's something they don't introduce for a while, you know, either in the first game. But I think what they were trying to do was take anything that was a little bit of a twist or that the original fans would know about and sort of, um, like, give them that little cookie. Um, it was a, it was a that, wink and a nod. Well, but also keeping it mysterious enough the new players go, wait, why does that? And want to keep playing, you know, yeah. want to find out why that happened. Um, it, it was a good way of doing a lot of those little twists without fully revealing them um, and making them, you know, come up earlier in the game. Um, and I think uh, the the last thing before we get into the what's the main part of this whole chapter, and we know what it is, we'll get to it, um, this section. Uh, what, what was your, um, uh, more so Tom here, because um, I know when we were playing through, which you can find on, you know, this YouTube channel, um, the Midgard part of the original Final Fantasy VII. Um, you have you've played through that way too many times. So, what was your first thought walking into you know Sector Seven? Um, how big it was. It was and what life this city had and the sector had. Because when you go into Sector Seven and Sector Six and Sector Five as well, any of the slums in the original game, you don't really get a sense of the city being alive. It's kind of dull and dreary, and you can only go in a couple places, and there's like three people on the screen. But as you're walking into Sector 7, there's just, there's people everywhere. There's there's a, a, a market where people can buy buy their stuff. Um, seven, the Seventh Heaven Bar, like, looks incredible. Uh, it looks like a real, like a regular dive bar that I would want to go to. Um, just it, yeah. It just gave you a sense of again scale of this game and how big Midgar itself is. You can and you can just the the first thing I did when I got into Sector Seven was I looked up because I wanted to see what the plate looks like because that's something you never see in the original game. You never see the plate. You kind of just are looking at the ground the whole time because of the perspective. So that was like the first thing I did was look at the skybox and see what it looked like and it was it was really pretty breathtaking to to sound to to sound uh overly excited about this um yeah i don't have much to add to that i i agree that it's uh they did a good job of um bringing it to life and making it seem like a place that people live yeah i i i agree if it definitely um it, it definitely made it feel like a real place as opposed to just a, a pre-rendered background that you walked through. Yeah, and um, if you, if, a question for John, um, as someone that really enjoyed the combat and all that, and uh, what did you think of how they introduced side quests in this chapter? Like, did, was were they obviously they're probably not interesting because they're all pretty, you know, dull. But in in terms of you know 
getting you to actually do that combat? Like, what are your thoughts on the side quests? So, in video games, I generally do not like side quests. Um, and I don't usually care for open world games. Um, so I loved that there is a finite number of side quests, and it is specifically you do this one interesting fight, um, and then that's the end of it. Um, that was fabulous for me. Yeah. And uh, do you guys, by any chance, remember, did, did we all get above 50 on that board thing for killing monsters to get yeah. that special reward? Above 50 where? The uh, board in, in Sector 7 that tells you how many kills you got. Oh, I have no... I never even looked at it. You missed the materia, so... What, what materia was it? Oh, uh, was anything... It was like, what? was anything really major. Um, but I think it might have been like an HP up or like that. Um, but yeah, there's a giant count, counter for how many, uh, like, enemies had been killed in that area. And it would count up as you killed enemies on the side quests. Yeah, I um, think I got to a point of no return... And just never got back to it. So I'll have to go back. <laughs> yeah, that's again. in chapter three. Yeah. 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 So yeah, because uh, that's kind of one thing that I, I one gripe I had with the game is in the beginning it doesn't really give you a sense of when you can go back to things or if you can go back to things. So the fact that there's a chapter select really, really was yeah. was a nice surprise at the end because. Yeah. I knew there were things that I probably missed and I didn't want to have to play the whole game over again just to do some one little thing that I needed to do. Yeah. Chapter select. I think the chapter select is fantastic because um, it lets you replay fights that you enjoyed um, or go back to find things that you missed. For example, I like didn't do the darts mini game until after I had even done most of the game on hard mode. Um, but then I could just hop back to it really quick. However, on the other hand, I also think that the chapter select is not granular enough. For example, if you want to do the chapter 14 side quests, um, yeah. you have to beat, you have to do all of the crane arm stuff and beat Hellhouse again, and then you get a subset of the side quests based on things. Yeah, and that was frustrating. So yeah, to, to get the full, to get all 26 side quests, you literally have to beat Hellhouse a second time. So you have to redo all the side quests in hard mode again? No, just to get the two you missed, um, you have to go through that first part of Chapter 9 and beat Hell House. Chapter 4, most of the side quests will give you a manuscript, and so if oh, you yeah, that's right. all yeah. the manuscripts, then you need to do most of the side quests again on hard yeah. mode. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, but specifically to get all 26, you have to basically do Chapter 9 in full with everything. Right, which so. which is the dresses. Yeah, well, not not the dresses. There's, uh, well, there is the two side quests you miss because everybody gets twenty four out of twenty six at the end of the game if mm -hmm. you do them all. And the other two is that Walmart has four side quests. Um, right, you just have to, you have to make the right decision with Chocobo Sam, Sam. in order to. Yeah, 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 to get it. Um, yeah, that's the only thing with the chapter select is I didn't I didn't I didn't like having to do that. Um, the uh, the main thing. Uh, before we move on to probably the biggest departure in terms of this game, um, wh what did you? What was your first reaction to Chadley, and why is he the reincarnation of Hope? Well, that's why the first time I saw him, I was like, why is why is Hope in this game, and what does he have to do with this story? Uh, I mean, it was just a, a it just seemed like a throwaway 
quest giver in the beginning. I didn't realize he'd be with you the whole game, but uh, I did wonder why they made him look so much like Hope. It's because Nomura can only do so many designs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I-, I love listening to other spoiler casts and stuff of people that just ignored Chadley, which he has some material. I'm like, how can you? Okay, you know, um, and get the summons off him and all that. Uh, but uh, since we'll probably won't want to focus on Chadley too much, I would like to end his whole thing here. Um, do the two of you know what his final story is? And do you want to know? I know now yeah. because I heard it last night, but I didn't know previously. Yeah. John? And I'm kind of I'm kind of sad I didn't find out myself. Yes, I, I have heard that. Yeah. So for those of you out there, um, you know, it's going to be one quick sentence so you can hit pause for like 30 seconds. Just, uh, just hit the, just hit the forward fifteen to thirty second button. button. Yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's an android uh, made by Hojo who is just testing cloud. Period. Okay. Um, moving on. So, <laughs> chapter four um, is um, the probably the the first time in the game where you see a real expansion of the story. Um, and then I have some theories that we'll, we'll talk within here to actually talk theory stuff. Um, but um, what were your thoughts um, when you found out at the beginning of this chapter that you would be going up, A, to the plate, one, and B, that it would be an all mostly Jesse-centric um, chapter? Uh, I thought that they were going to make Jesse a bigger character, I guess, at that point. I didn't really... I already knew that she was going to be more... Um, integral into the story but i didn't know i just thought it was a cool little expansion i didn't think anything of it at the time but now it makes you i realize it made you care more about these characters or more than you did in previous games because in in the first game um you didn't really get to know jesse biggs and wedge at all you just kind of they were just kind of there just like they are in every other final fantasy (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed all the Jessie storyline and um, her characterization. I think she's a really good and interesting character. Um, as opposed to, uh, in the original game, she's just, like, completely non-existent. Like, her Biggs and Wedge are not even a character all combined. Um, yeah. They, uh, and I also thought that the Chapter 4 stuff um, does a really good job of, like, setting up Shinra's um that Shinra is not just evil now and doing bad things now but that they have been doing them for a really long time and it's not just that they um uh don't care about the poor people in the slums it's that they don't care about even their own employees yeah yeah there's like a big disconnect between the executives um which is the uh quote-unquote legion of doom that they show in this (laughs) you know um and everyone else that even works at, at Shinra, and especially the slums. Um, uh, did you both find the letter on the floor in Jesse's house? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, because that's um, that's one of the theories I want to bring up now. Um, uh, you know, for future endgame theories. Um, for those of you who played the game, we all know. You know, there's a, even the original game. You know, in the pillar before the the point collapse, you know, you know, her and Biggs, you know, die on the pillar and all that. Um, but, you know, the, with, with everything changing with how this game ends and having that letter, I had come up with a theory that I heard somewhere else and I'm buying really into it. 
Um, is that one of the cool ways, if, if it is a change in timeline sort of thing or whatever, um, crazy, is if you get the golden saucer and you go to see the play and it's Jesse in the play there. And that's how they bring her back into the game. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool um, idea because even though you don't see her at the end of the game, you see Biggs, but I feel like if if they are going to bring her back and the the reason you don't see her is because she's not there, she's not in Midgar, she's at the Golden Saucer or at Coral already, and she's not she's not even not even in that timeline or whatever you want to yeah. whatever you yeah, want to call it. Yeah, you can either it. do it where she left, you know, because her parents are dead and you know she doesn't know where you guys are, you know, and so she leaves her gloves and bandana with Biggs and leaves and ends up the saucer. Or if you want to say that you're now in a different timeline. Um, it's the timeline where Jesse never comes back to Midgar, you know, and, and, you know, that's one of the first moments that maybe they cash in on that. But I thought that was a really good theory because it ties into having that letter on the floor, you know, doing the whole thing about her being an actress and all that. And because they do a lot building her up to not have something happen in the next game, in my opinion, um, because, you know, they, they say Biggs, they outside of the orphanage, they don't really build him up too much. Um, they spent a lot of time with Jesse and then, you know, you don't technically see a dead body. Um, cause if Biggs wasn't dead, then why should I believe she was? But yeah. the, um, yeah, the, the, the main thing in, in this chapter is I think they, that's why she had a central chapter and not the other two. Um, because they even get the thing where they, uh, give a little behind the scenes of her personality. It's just that one of my favorite lines in the game from Wedge is like, uh, they're talking about, you know, don't tell her we told you about this. And he goes, no, serious, she'll beat the shit out of us. <laughs> you know, it's just a really well-delivered line. Um, and sort of it, it's a way to do it in one sentence to just explain her character. Um, and, you know, I, I, I felt that this chapter four was doing a real good job with that. But the most important thing that happens in this chapter, which has another one of my theories going forward, um, just to expand on the lore, is uh, the introduction of Roach, um, which... Uh, I know me and John both really enjoy uh, Roach, uh, but but Tom, what were your thoughts before I get into my one theory I have with him? Oh, I thought it was kind of weird because at the as far as I knew from um, from like Crisis Core and stuff, I had thought that Soldier didn't exist anymore. I thought it was just kind of, once the whole Sephiroth and um, Zack thing happened, I thought soldier didn't exist anymore so i didn't realize that there were still soldiers per se that i didn't know that program was still a thing so i was kind of surprised to see what appears to be another soldier first class that you've never heard of or seen before um well i like the character overall i think he's kind of crazy and that's kind of builds into that uh that soldier persona because every they all have pretty larger than life um larger than life personas themselves because i mean you look at if you i mean mark i don't know if you played crisis core but um genesis and and Geo both ha are very have very strong personalities and obviously sephiroth eventually has a very strong personality um so it just kind of fit in that that realm but uh i just thought it was cool that they they decided to add another character but at the same point he kind of is an outlaw because he kind of just just shows up to save cloud it's at one point for no reason yeah yeah so that that folds into my theory um with roach is i think they're going to use roach going forward 
as a way to show the uh, the thing that uh, President Shinra uh, talks about um, when right before you fight the Airbuster um, about you know soldiers having that uh, what gene degeneration or whatever the disease they have from being infused with the Mako and that you know maybe well, they'll the, show it's the Genova cells I think yeah because yeah, they again if you if you played Crisis Core you see that degeneration in genesis and yeah. and Geel. yeah and so I think, I think they're going to use roach uh, to show that and to show what could happen to cloud yeah. you know and maybe to help maybe explain some things that cloud does later in the game um i think that was the reason for the introduction of roach only because they don't use him anywhere else in the game um is i think he's going to be used as that you know um like he'll have a, a redeeming arc at the end you know where you know, sort of like put me out of my misery cloud sort of thing um, when which, he finally starts going nuts. Um, with which it. is a which is a thing in Crisis Core too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I I don't think um, I didn't think they want to fully go with that, or maybe he's the personification of one of those two guys. Who knows? You know, um, they could do something crazy like that. But I think Roach, that's his usage in this. And um, yeah, I know I know John, you like. Uh, uh, Roach a lot. We we've discussed it a whole bunch. Um, the one thing I want I want to get it from you with this is um, what were your th- uh, thoughts on on the actual fight with him in terms of of a of a combat standpoint. I actually have different opinions on um, Roach's purpose in the story. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah. So I I really liked. Um, well, first of all, uh, Tom, I'm correct that Cloud is not actually part of Soldier, right? You are correct. Big twist and stuff, yeah. So I really like Roche um, in the story because um, he is he is another soldier who is has like gone rogue, or he's another ex-soldier, and he just goes around causing trouble for um, and getting into fights for no apparent reason. And so that gives us the audience like um, uh, a lot more world building that one. It explains why people aren't don't have as strong of a reaction to Cloud because he's not the only ex-soldier running around. Um, there's multiple of these people, and so that's why people um, okay. are like, "Oh, you have super strength? Yeah, that seems helpful. Can you help me with this thing?" Um, instead of saying, "What the hell do you mean that you're a deserter?" Um, yeah. Stuff like that. And then it also um, is a nice, uh, yeah. Um, so. I think that it's really good for like establishing Cloud's cover. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, then. Yeah, it makes it more it makes it more believable that superhumans are running running rampant in this in these right. cities. Um, yeah, that's another uh, good point. Is that it also um, like normalizes the fact that your main characters are all these superhumans who go around defeating all of these monsters and other people, and um, the existence of Roche makes it clear that like yep that's just how this world is there are some people who are bulletproof and ridiculously strong and everybody just accepts that that's how it is and this um, guy has a gun grafted to his arm and nobody thinks twice about it yeah yeah, um, yeah that, that's it's a lot of the funny scenes is everybody's walking around normal clothes and then you know the three of you when it's tifa barrett and cloud mm-hmm. are there and it's like nobody bats an eye you know, seeing see these people around. Um, but yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, I'm sure, I hope they expand on on Roach um, 
a little bit because just just having him show up for that one scene, um, even if he's just like name dropped or something, um, or becomes like part of a story that you you run into later in game two or three, you know, as because just having him as a one off doesn't feel like what this game is doing with things. So I'm interested to see what they they do going forward with with him in particular. So I actually have a theory myself. Yeah. Um, I think if they make the whole Zach thing happen, I feel like he'll be your like link to Zach. Okay. Because they're both they were both in Soldier and they seem about the same age. So I feel like he will be a uh, a link there to like more Soldier things. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Zach stuff's interesting, and I want to go into a full topic on that. Um, so. We're going to move on and combine um, the next two things that broken up because, like we always do in these things, we talk a lot. Um, so we're running up in about an hour 15 right now. Uh, so um, the next two things were uh, the chapter when you, you meet Aerith, you finally get to learn about Aerith and, um, and up to Wall Market. Um, so first off, just the real, there's two things uh, that I really want to get into in the Aerith, chap- Aerith chapter. And um, if you guys have anything to add on, on those, feel free. But um, I think, uh, and this goes for most of the voice actors on the English one, um, I thought she did a really good job um, on making, you know, Aerith have, a, at least to me, a little more personality than she does in the, um, in the original games. Um, maybe that's something that's in the other, you know, side stuff, like Crisis Core and all, because I didn't really play it. But just the... You know that that little attitude when you first learn about her. Um, so what what were your both of both of you? Um, what are your thoughts on you know uh, Aerith as his character um, and how they introduced her and um, you know the, the the interpretation of her in this game? Okay. Um, so when you first run into Aerith, it's kind of a different vibe than when you meet her in the original game, it almost seems like she knows who you are. Um, and she kind of seems like, I think I told this to you previously, Mark, she kind of feels like your little sister. Okay. Like she kind of like jabbing at you and, uh, making fun of you. Um, like when you meet her eventually in the church. Um, and then I, like, it kind of feels like things get out of whack when you meet her. Because all of a sudden, Reno walks in and then she says you're her bodyguard. And, like, they never even talked about that yet. Like, that that's talked about later. Um, and, like, it, it, it just kind of feels like she, she knows who you are for some reason. And, and she doesn't seem to be following the story exactly. Or she kind of feels like she's um, doing her own thing as opposed and kind of still moving the story ahead um, to make sure it's going that direction. Almost. If you understand what I mean, yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm talking in circles, but yeah, um, she's definitely way different in this game than she is in the original for sure. Yeah. And John, any thoughts on Aerith as a whole throughout the game? And it's, you know, I thought, so I agree that um, her character is much better here than in the original game. Um, I mean, to be slightly, like mean about it um in the original game she's basically just exists to get fridged um yeah 
it, but I mean, she does get some characterization in the original game, but um, I feel like this game does a much better job of that. Um, and her, she like definitely seems to have a like a person, a clear personality um, that she's kind of eccentric and stuff. Um, and I think that I guess the two main examples where that comes across really well are um, one when um, you're in Wall Market. And she says, "Cloud permission to kill." Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a that's a fun line, and makes it yeah is very different from anything any other characters say, um, and yeah. that seems like a good sign of the like growing rapport between um, Cloud and Aerith that they're both kind of weird and don't get along super and a little bit socially awkward, um, and then also we have to talk about the high five scene. That thing is. Yeah. That's so good. Um, <laughs> that is one of my favorite moments from the entire game, even yeah. though the crane arm puzzle sucks. Yeah, the fact that you have to, it's a hold triangle prompt yeah. and not just a press is is yeah. perfection. Um, it, that's one of my favorite moments of watching another person play. One of the streamers, uh, when that scene came up, literally went, all right, I'm going to go make a sandwich. I'll be back and just left it for like five minutes. With her just with the hand up, <laughs> and she repeats she repeats like the same three lines over and over again. But yeah, he just left her, and then he at same streamer cut off the uh, his first stream when she drops and says shit and grabs the thing, and you're supposed oh, to help her up. Away. <laughs> he, he literally ended his stream and left his PlayStation on, just sitting on that scene. So he left her hanging for like twenty for like six eight hours. But um. Right. I also thought it was interesting that she swears because um, yeah. she's kind of portrayed as this all holy uh, person in the first game and kind of like a savior. So it's it's funny to hear uh, her s- say things like a normal person. Yeah, my, my thought on that, Tom, and, and if, if John, if you played Crisis Core, too, um, what is Zach's personality in a sense? Like, would she have learned you know, this crassness from, not that it's bad or wrong, crass might be a wrong term, but would she have picked it up from being around him? Um, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of uh, a smartass and uh, this too cool for school type of dude in Crisis Core. Um, so she, she very much could have picked that up from Zach. That was my first thought was, I wonder if this whole personality that, they probably realized because obviously they did Crisis Core after seven was, hey, wait, she wouldn't be this, you know, holier than thou figure if she had that whole relationship with Zach, you know, that she would have grown up and been like a normal person, you know, wouldn't have been as sheltered as I think she's portrayed in the original game. Um, but yeah, the whole Arab chapter is great because it, it introduces her, um, which I'm, we'll get into it in our end theories. Um you know, Which it, I think I think we might need to skip to. We're, no, no, we're no, almost... no. We'll get there real fast. I just yeah. want to I just want to mention one more thing in this chapter, and then we'll basically go towards the end of the game. Um, I I really liked um the uh, introduction and the characterization of the Turks. Um, I feel this is a point that we need to talk about. That I think the way Rude and Reno are portrayed, um, along with Zhang, um, really give them a little more depth and actually make them you know, characters that I want to learn more when, you know, games two and three or whatever. Um, did you, 
did you feel it was a big improvement from the original on those two? And um, if you had no opinion on them in the first game, did you like their character designs in this one? Um, I like the character designs a lot. I think they matched the characters really well. Um, but there was just this one part with the Turks that kind of I kind of didn't like. Um, it was when Rude dropped the plate because in the first game and somewhat in this game he's just kind of he's kind of more of a good guy try, that's just doing his job and he has a crush on Tifa and all this all this other stuff but i feel like him dropping the plate was a little too much for that character i feel like it still should have been reno cuz reno kind of doesn't give a shit about anything um but they do kind of make up for it later when he's like did we really need to do that um when he's asking uh, sung if if that was really necessary to drop the plate but um there again i feel like after advent children and um crisis core where the turks are a lot more prominent i feel like people wanted to learn more about them so that's probably why we're getting so much more information now because um they're the bad guys they're like unambiguously the bad guys um and the things they do are like clearly heinous like dropping the plate and whatever um but then the more that they address them the more they try to like humanize them and make them more like protagonists but that they do that without making them not evil um so i think that's part of the like dissonance that you're talking about tom um is just that it's 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 weird to make them yeah i, I don't know but the two main things I wanted to say about the Turks are one, um, get going back to something I said earlier. I really like um, in the fight with Reno when uh, he says, um, "Oh, uh, he says something about um, Cloud being uh, in the military," and Cloud says, um, "Yeah, I was soldier first class," and Reno just says, just laughs at him and says, "Don't quit trying to pull my leg." And I, yeah. I think that's another good um, hint that Cloud is not actually an ex-soldier, although um, I feel like somebody who had not played the game would not have picked up on that, that they would have just thought that um, Reno was trying to act tough. Um, Then the also uh, the fight with Rude, when um, you beat the first phase and it goes to a cutscene of uh, Rude's sunglasses smashed (laughs) and Cloud says, had enough. And then he pulls out another pair of sunglasses and says, no, no, I have not. And then goes back to punching you. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted That's... to make sure yeah, before we sped ahead that we, we at least mentioned the turrets because I think they were one of the one of the best improvements in this game. Yeah, I felt like that scene was very much something that someone who played the first game would have enjoyed because Rude kind of always just was like that. It was his character in the first game. I yeah. feel like... It really accentuated that. So, um, yeah, as we, we're, you know, doing here, we're going to uh, truncate the rest of the stuff. I just want to, uh, before we go into full bore end the game and talk about the stuff we avoided, like the plot ghosts and all that stuff. Um, uh, am I wrong in thinking that the the Walmart uh, makeover scene was probably the best singular scene in the whole game in... Um, in both surprise and execution. I, but I <laughs> understand where you're coming from. Tom? Um, I, I really enjoyed it. 
it was one of those things we're talking about there that are uh it it looked like one of those things that would be very difficult to pull off in the 21st century and they they managed to do it uh really well i think um i don't know if i'd call it the best but it was certainly a highlight it was definitely uh definitely something worth uh, seeking out if you even if you don't want to play the game, just seeing how they managed to pull it off, uh, yeah. I think I think it'd, it'd be worth a watch. Yeah, and even that they had that little, even though it's two lines in there, you know, talking about you know that do what you feel like, no matter you know, don't stay within gender constructs, and you know, don't be afraid. Um, you know, just having those two lines in make up for what could have been a very awful um, portrayal of that kind of stuff. Um, so I applaud them for that and I will praise them, um, for pulling off something I thought was impossible to do, um, and not get, you know, they somehow avoided getting screamed at on the internet about it. Um, at least through what I've seen. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any backlash on, on that, that whole stuff. Yeah. So, um, so let's move on to the end. Um, so throughout the whole game, there are these, uh, let's just call them dementors because that's what they are. Um, (laughs) The, the, you know, black ghost running around. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't even, uh, we don't even know what they're called until almost the end of the game. Yeah, when Red 13 shows up, which by the way, his character design is all. Yeah. Um, the, I, I would like to hear, we've all listened to spoiler cast and stuff like that, but um, what theory do you buy into uh, that they were trying to say with these black ghosts? And um, do you have one of your own? Well, I'd say that they are as much metaphorical as they are to um, drive the story, um, the metaphor of, of them being us, the people that want the game to go a certain way. I agree with that. Um, um, I also think that since I, since we're at the end of the game here, uh, we, we find out that Sephiroth is not the same Sephiroth, obviously. Um, and we kind of find out that he's controlling fate and controlling what's going to happen. Aerith kind of says all this stuff at the end. Um, and the planet is, you know, trying to make the make it happen the way it's supposed to happen, which leads you to believe that they're trying to stop Sephiroth and Aerith from doing whatever they're going to do to stop the, the original game from happening. Yeah. Um, but I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I, I do like the the fact that like it, it kind of is a meta thing and saying that it's 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 the fans that are the the plot ghosts because they're not good. They're not evil. They're just kind of there. Um, yeah. And in the during the game, they're kind of like, man, I, I don't really care for these things. But towards the end, it uh, it really makes sense why they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John, any thoughts on these plot ghosts? Yeah, so um, positive thoughts first. Um, I like I like the metaphor for um, the plot ghosts, the Dementors being fans insisting that no, it has everything has to happen the way that it happens, um, and kind of doing a uh, that the game is sort of addressing that fan feedback that came out around the creation of the game, um, and then I also. Even if you don't interpret the Dementors as being fans giving that feedback, um, it could still be uh, creative forces or executives or who, um, whoever giving that same feedback of everything has to happen the way that it happens. Um, 
and them addressing that is kind of neat in that uh it in they aren't just a by this point you know that there are major changes in the storyline um yeah however instead of just ignoring that and saying no that uh don't pay um pay no attention forget everything you know um they directly address that and say yes things are different we know that they're different it is intentional that they are different um my negative thoughts are um i don't really like super meta um ontological stuff like this because if you do too much of it then well when you do stuff like this we the audience no longer know like what the laws of this universe are and so yeah you can't have any stakes like if somebody dies it doesn't mean anything because we don't know how reality works they can just come back if they can just come back then um it doesn't matter that they're dead and yeah. so i hope that they don't do too much with this in future games that for example the second game i would like it if the second game has um major changes like what you were talking about with jesse being at the golden saucer um if they use this as an opportunity to do things like that but for the most part i want it to be a relatively like low stakes thing um i guess another i guess another way i would like this to pan out is for um that whole fight and stuff to be like an illusion caused by Genova Dreamweaver. Um, okay. It, it's very real that these characters are intentionally fighting fate and that um, perhaps Aerith and Sephiroth still know what's um, what has happened or is yeah. supposed to happen. Um, but that uh, it's not necessarily like destiny, the actual force in this universe is dead and gone. Um, so yeah. I, I'm curious to see where they go with it. I hope that it's not going to be two more games of just that stuff. Yeah. So the uh, final couple topics that I want to touch on first, um, what was your, uh, I'll start my thoughts on it. Um, What were your thoughts about that final, um, we'll say after you go through the point of no return um, for the final boss fights um, and um, you know, what did you, you know, think of that in general? Mine, um, I was a little worried that it was going to take too much of a departure um, and go to Kingdom Heartsy. It kind of does a little bit, but um, having those flashbacks and all in there and just, you know, getting those little plot points and then how they ended after the fights, um, I think saved it a little bit for me. Um, it was the it's the only thing that really kept me from giving it, you know, probably a, a high nine score. Um, you know, I'd probably if I was writing a review and and. Uh, you know, I'd probably give it a nine or something like that. But to go higher was that I don't I think they almost stuck the landing on what they want to say. But that whole and your theory probably might give it a little more weight, um, basically making that whole fight a dream from Dreamweaver. Um, but, yeah, what was your thoughts on, on that whole final section? It's basically an entire change of the whole game. Yeah. So the. The fight itself, I thought, was pretty interesting. Um, I've seen people think that you're fighting uh, kind of represent, rep, rep, representatives of Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett, which would make sense, but at the same time, it wouldn't make sense because you're not fighting a representation of Aerith also. Um, and then I watched a spoiler cast on uh, on the on the game, obviously, and 
they had mentioned that they have the same powers as the remnants in Advent Children. And then I went and watched Advent Children, and I was like, yep, that's totally them. They're totally parts of Sephiroth. Um, and then, uh, as you were saying, Mark, it, it very got very Kingdom Heartsy with g- the gigantic boss that makes no sense that, uh, you know, uh, Barrett's able to shoot out of the sky because he can all of a sudden. All of a sudden, he's super powerful. Uh, but another theory I had heard that makes a lot of sense is where they are in that at that point, at the point of no return, there is no time like space and time they're at their their highest level possible at that at that point so they're they are able to battle sephiroth and this gigantic monster um at the same time um and we i i think we're are we going to talk about the sephiroth yeah. fight separately or yeah, no what? no talk talk about it all together so when i when i started fighting sephiroth i was very um frustrated with it because up to that point, I didn't really use the whole counterattack method, and I didn't. When I fr- when I first did the fight, I thought it had been. I thought I thought I had tried that, but I mu- must not have, because obviously that's the way you beat him is to just stand in Punisher in Punisher mode and counter all of his stuff or be in counter stance. Because um, I had probably lost the fight four or five times before. I finally figured that out. So I must have tried. I must have thought I did it in the beginning. It just I just didn't do it right or something. But uh, I eventually figured it out, and the fight ended up being really enjoyable once I figured it out because um, it gave me more. Uh, it, it just gave felt like I had more of a chance, uh, and I figured out you know how to how to dodge Fireaga. There's by the way, there's no way to block Blazaga. Period. I've discovered. Uh, the, yeah, nope. the only way to avoid most of the ice damage is to get out of the way. Like he, you, that ice crystal forms, and you just dodge out of the way. You'll avoid most of the damage. But if you stay, is when you take full damage. Right, but I was so close to him that it was impossible for exactly. me yeah. to get out of the way. So that was, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna have to take this damage. Um, yeah. But it it ended up being one of my favorite fights in the game after the fact. Uh, even though I hated it at the beginning, I finally figured it out and I liked it a lot. Yeah. So um, I know, uh, John, you probably have some opinions on this section of the game. Yeah. Um, so chapter 18 is the only part I have not beaten on hard mode and I have zero intention of ever <laughs> trying to do it because um, the whispers fight just sucks ass on hard mode. Um, yeah. If you, so for most of the boss, most of the, multi-stage fights um like the rufus dark star fight into arsenal that's in the game that's a series of battles and if you you can retry any of the um just the latest battle in the series whisper bahamut is the only fight that is not like that so if you it takes it took me 20 minutes to get to whisper bahamut um and i had a very good setup um well I had a good setup, um, and then I, uh, when a boss goes into a cutscene, it will cancel any ability you had just activated that hasn't gone off yet um, with consuming the resource, but without doing any damage or healing you. Um, Whisper Bahamut, his Mega Flare cutscene ate my limit break, 
And so um, I that happened, and I was like, oh, well, I know now that I just need to change, like, one thing in my strategy, um, and then oh. it should be fine. And then I, I fail. I, I need to interject it, real quick. Sorry, ahead. Jonathan. Uh, the fact that you can have your limit breaks um, canceled out is the worst fucking thing ever. Because the whole point of a yeah. limit break in the original game was that you could cancel any move. Didn't matter <laughs> what you were fighting. It would cancel their next action. And the fact that it does not cancel the action or it doesn't stop you from taking damage is mm -hmm. incredibly stupid. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah. We didn't really talk about this, but um, that's one quality of life change that I would like in the next game. Um, in hard mode, one of the main things you need to learn from bosses is when they go into cutscenes like that, because they will eat your spell or limit break or um, whatever, if you do it at the wrong time. Anyways, so Whisper Bahamut, if you fail Whisper Bahamut, you have to redo all of the Whisper fights, which are just a huge slog, um, yeah. and there's no good way to go through them quickly. Um, so, fuck that. I'm not doing yeah, it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I also don't have any desire to do the Sephiroth fight on hard mode, because that also seems like it's going to be a huge mess. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so, yeah, so at this point in the game, they start throwing a lot of crazy stuff at you in terms of um, whether they're going to do... Um, so I'm just going to leave it at a simple question, since, you know, we're running long on time, and then we'll, we'll do our wrap-up. Um, with, with all the stuff they're throwing in terms of, is this a future Sephiroth, the Zack stuff, the potato chip bag being different, stamp, <laughs> um, do, you, do you think they're going to do, uh, you know, multiple timeline thing, or is it going to be like um, they uh, they go into the, like, what, are they going to do like time stuff in terms of time travel and all that? Or is, it just, or is it going to be multiverses sort of thing? Like, where do, do you guys have a thought on where you think, um, if they even do any of that, um, where they go with the stuff they sort of peppered at you in the last, like, half hour of the game? So my thought is that it's going to continue on the story the way you normally do. But at the same time, you're going to see flashes, like you do in this game, of what happens to Zack or what happens to whatever uh, at the same time. Because in the last, like, section, you kind of, like, walk past Zack. So I feel like things like that are going to happen more. Um, with the whole Jesse thing, I'm not sure. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but it would be cool to see her, like, not know who you are and not know. It might be, like, a Back to the Future 2 type deal. Um, yeah. Or, like, she doesn't have a clue who you are. Uh, but you know everything about her. Uh, I feel like the whole party will know, obviously. They'll know her, but she won't know any of you. Um, but it's definitely Advent Children Sephiroth, 100%. He doesn't get the wing until Advent Children. And the whole time in this game, the only way you know he's there is the Black Feathers. So there's no other... Re like, he, ha he already knows what's going to happen. He knows that he's defeated by by these people um and something else i thought was pretty interesting was when red 13 gets the flash from the end of the first game he says that's what's going to happen if we fail here today which leads me to think that that's the bad ending like you don't want that to happen yeah. you want to try to change that so i'm not really sure what's going to transpire to make it change or if it will change it may not 
they may make you think it's going to change the whole time and just no, nothing changes. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different ways it could go, but I generally think that it is a, it is Advent Children Sephiroth and the planet or something, the life stream, something is talking to Aerith. So she knows what's happening. To so they're kind of like the main characters going at each other. She's leading you. He's trying to make you do things that would help him all at the same time. John? Yeah, I don't have too much to say about it. But I, again, I'm not really invested in this part. Um, but I think the main reason for that is because um, uh, like there is Nomura does have a heavy hand on this. And from Kingdom Hearts, we know that he absolutely does not give a shit about any established lore or canon and um, is also happy to completely retcon stuff in the next game with no warning. Um, but on the other hand, it's very clear that he's not like the lead writer on this because um, the writing is extremely different from all of the Kingdom Hearts games and that stuff. So um, I don't have a good gauge on what kind of story they want to tell. Yeah, I... Nomura is famous for, you know, just doing whatever the whatever the hell he wants and just making things overly complicated for no reason. We've seen that with Kingdom Hearts three and, and every other Kingdom Hearts game that he he's done because there's I can't even count how many there are at this point. Um, but yeah, well, I'm really hoping he doesn't go and you know make make it overly complicated for no reason. Like if you're going to to change stuff just change it it's gonna happen we're ready for it you've made you've made you've made us realize that it can happen so you might as well just do it and don't you know don't don't like make it try to make it cute just do it um but jonathan i know you really don't care about like the 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 time travel crap but have you seen advent children i remember watching it at some point as a kid however obviously i didn't see the whole thing because i thought it was literally just a 20 minute fight sequence <laughs> well it kind of it kind of is the whole movie is that fight sequence <laughs> um but in the beginning they they go through all this stuff with cloud and geostigma and all this stuff um and towards the end of the game um when you're near genova and cloud's walking towards genova he's grasping his left arm and in Advent Children, his left arm is infected with geostigma. And he's kind of flashing in and out of all this stuff. Uh, but geostigma is like the Genova disease. Uh, or Mach Yeah. So, yeah. It's like a disease they're trying to get rid of that's caused by the um, destruction of Midgar. Um, and I, I just feel like... They're, they're hinting so much at stuff that happened in Advent Children that everybody that hasn't seen it in years or has never watched it should go watch it. And a lot more stuff will make sense once you play through the game again. Um, even like the last battle with the Whisper. Like I said, you in Advent Children, he fights those three remnants of Sephiroth um, with Sephiroth genes. They're like Sephiroth clones. Um, and they all have like, the same powers that, that they show in that last battle. So I feel like Advent Children plays a big role here, even though they they kind of, you know, don't like to say it. I feel like it plays a huge role because it happens after Final Fantasy VII. So all of this stuff that happened after Final Fantasy VII is now being thrown into Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Yeah, the 
Um, the Advent Children thing is might be the biggest thing that I took away from this. I've never watched it. And when someone explained all that, as you just did, um, it put a lot of things, pieces together um, that I wasn't sure of. Um, I have uh, two things to get your opinion on, and then we'll close it out. Um, one, uh, do you think if they do story DLC that they'll do it with you run the bombing mission as Zack? Uh, I would love that. I think it would be pretty cool. Do I think it'll happen? I don't know. I don't. I don't. What if they do Nibbleheim as story DLC? That would be cool. I would like that too. Because you'd never actually get to play that ever. You just see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The that was I was gonna say. The that was my second question. Um, and you partially answered it because I was gonna say, do you think they do the flashback stuff and and any Zach stuff and Nibelheim and all that as either some kind of DLC or do they, or is that how they open the second game so that everybody's on a level playing field in terms of people that skipped the first game and playing this to learn the battle system, you know, and stuff like that. Is that a good point to start with? And then once you're out of that, you're like in calm in the hotel. Like you just, you play through the Nibelheim flashback and then all of a sudden it just shoots you to calm. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. But you'd be Cloud. You wouldn't be Zack. Yeah, yeah. Even though you've seen Zack already, you 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 still wouldn't. Um, yeah. Well, you can play you, around with that and sort of introduce that mystery to the new players um, through that. Uh, I'm just saying, I think that flashback that you have at Com, you know, um, is probably a good place to start. Um, you know, this uh, this uh, the next game. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Go ahead, Jonathan. I, I was going to say, um, yeah, I could see them. Uh, maybe they could start the next game with you doing the Nibelheim flashback as Zack. And then the next part or um, the part immediately after that, well, do that as like a tutorial level or whatever. And then the part immediately after that is Cloud talking about remembering the Nibelheim stuff as though he was the one who did it. Um, and then I remember that that's actually just the start of Kingdom Hearts 2 with Roxas <laughs> and Zora. <laughs> So it might happen. It might happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 was kind of one of those, like, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 moments where it's like a total um, swerve in the beginning. Because you put, oh, I remember loading up Kingdom Hearts 2 and be like, who is this Roxas yeah. dude? Why am I not playing as Sora? This doesn't make any sense. But they, knowing Nomura, they very well may do that. You might play as Zack, and people could be like, who the hell is, like, people who never played before would be like, who is Zack, and why am I playing as him? I thought I was this blonde, spiky blonde-haired dude with a big sword. Well, I think that would be a clear transition, because we do see Zack in the end of um, uh, FF7R. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we know that, and people who played Remake know that, but if it's someone trying to get in... I don't know if they're going to include like a previously on Final Fantasy VII remake. I don't, I don't know if 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 that'll be the case or not. But um, I I think that is a good starting point for sure. I would I would enjoy that because you never really get to explore Nibelheim for real in that uh, in that flashback. You kind of just go to your house, you go to Tifa's house, and then that's it. And then you're in the mansion. But um, yeah, so, oh. yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add, Tom? I was just going to make an overall statement. Um, okay. I think Remake, the name Final Fantasy VII Remake, is a Nomura thing. I think it's kind of like 
Kingdom Hearts re- final remix or, you know, it's like that as opposed to just saying that it's a remake. I think it has more to do with remaking the timeline or remaking the story. I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's just a name. I think it I think he probably um, is doing more with that than we think. Yeah, no, that that yeah, it is an it is in part one of the remake. You know, it's remake. You know, there's a point. Um, just hopefully the next game isn't like 376 over 12, um, or something like that. But it's gonna um, be it's gonna be called Final Fantasy Seven Seven Seconds. Yeah. Um. So final question before we head out. Um. Uh, just just an affirmative, or if you want to add anything to it. Um. Do you think Aerith dies? Oh yes, I do. In the same way, or do they do it a different way and use that way as a fake out? Um, I think one of the Sephiroths will still kill her. I think they'll do a fake out where they make you think that Cloud is going to do it, but it's a, it's one of the Sephiroths. Yeah. So John, I have a thing that they might kill Tifa instead. Um, and oh, okay. part of what I think, well, one first things to be different, and um, two, I think um. I've been thinking about how they're going to add Yuffie into the game, and I feel like she would fill a lot of the same role as Tifa. And so I think um, that might be a way to explain introducing Yuffie and removing Tifa. Yeah. Um, yeah I didn't actually think of that, because I, I have another Yuffie theory, which I'll mention in mine. I think they're going, they're, I, I think they're going to kill Aerith, but I don't think it'll be in the next game. I think they, uh, you know... I think it was a good enough performance from the voice actress, which is why I think Jesse's going to come back. Because I think Erica Lindbeck did a really good job um, with Jesse. Um, but I think what they're going to do, they're going to have the city of the, it's in the city of the ancients. Temple. Not, temple is where the death happens. Okay. I always get confused at which is which. Um, I think that scene is going to happen, but right as soon as Sephiroth comes down, I think they allude to it in this game. I think cloud's going to jump out and block them, you know, from, well, he knows it's going to happen. Yeah, he's seen it. Yeah, so he's so, going to block him, you know, yeah. in that in that in that scene. And then I think they find out later, and it's going to be like one of those emotional scenes where I think Cloud might have to kill her. You know, she keeps saying to him, "No, I have to die. You don't understand. This is the only way." You know, sort of thing. I think that's how they're going to do it. They're going to make it a lot more gut wrenching, um, you know, of a scene. You know, because she's going to be with you a lot longer. But I think that's how they're going to do. They have to kill her because it tells too much of the full story for her uh, to be dead. Um, so, um, but my uh, my theory there for um, Yuffie is I think that's a good way to um, early on in the next game have you need to collect your materia again. Um, is to have yeah, have, have Yuffie show up and steal it. Yeah, mm. but not you don't know it's Yuffie, you know. Right. But like all of a sudden you wake up in calm and all your stuff's gone, you know sort of thing and you know all that happens to be left is the original equipment just oh just left my buster sword and you know whatever and then you have to you have to go to wutai and you know in the first couple hours of the game and then you get all your stuff back but um i i think i think that would be the best way i mean again not a game designer but i think that's a good way to a introduce wutai b introduce yuffie and c you know make it so that the new players you know, don't feel too left out. I think they might do a Mass Effect 2 type deal where, you know, you can get like a character that has some of the stuff like it would be like it was brought in from a save um, mm. in this game. I think I think they will let you transfer your character, but they might squish the level, 
you know, you know, maybe you start at level 25 or something, or maybe they stopped it at 50 on purpose because the next game is 50 through 75 or whatever, you know, or 50 to 99, you know, um, with it. But I think with the materia thing, I think um, they're either going to start you with a standard array of, of materia um, or they're going to let you bring your other one in. But I think I think the way to do it is introduce Wutai. And I think that ties into, you know, beginning the game where you begin it and the area, the map where you begin it. And um, I think at one point you're going to walk out into what would be the world map, but it's not going to be like open world. Like it's not going to be the same. I think yeah. I think it'll be closer to Final Fantasy X. I think it'll be closer to either 10 or 13 with open world. I don't think they'll go 15. I think it'll be probably 10 or 13. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, final thoughts overall. Um, if you want to give a score, give a score. Doesn't really matter. It's not really a review. But uh, we'll we'll start around. Um, uh, final thoughts on the game in general and uh, where you think it's going, John. Um, I give it seven Final Fantasies out of seven. And um, <laughs> I and I would recommend this game to um, people who haven't played the original at all. I still or who haven't necessarily been interested in Final Fantasy before. Um, I think it's a good jumping off point um, or a good starting point. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I uh, if I was going to give it a score, I'm, I'm going to do I'm going to be boring and go out of 10. I'm going to give it a nine and a half out of 10. Just because there's there's little things that can be fixed, but as a fan, I loved every second of it. Um, I I plan on playing through it again, probably a few times, and I'm already excited about it. Just thinking about what I can do different and what ways I can enjoy the game. Just yeah. just going through it for the music alone, I, I think is is enough. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. And, and and final thought on me before we toss it to the outro. Um, you know, I, I agree with everything John said about if you never played a Final Fantasy, it's a perfect starting off point. Um, I know it's one of those jokes where do I need to play the other 14 before I play this one? Jokes when 15 came out. But um, no, this is this is a perfect starting point. Um, you know, kind of like, you know, you, you can make the same argument for when the Resident Evil 2 new remake came out. You know, um, they do enough explaining the first game. Um, that you need to enjoy uh, those games going forward. Um, so I think this does a really good job of that in terms of um, maybe even driving people to play the original. Uh, but my score, like I said, would be probably a nine. Um, I think I think I'm one of those rare people that it's very hard to get a ten out of me um, for anything. Um, you know, it's a very high standard um, to give a game, you know, a score that high. Um, yeah, the, the ending really is what stops it from giving me Tom's score, but, um, I think it's a really good game. Combat's fun. First time I ever really wanted to play a new game plus on anything. So that's a thumbs up for it right there. Um, I think, I think it's the best combat any Final Fantasy game has had, and that may or may not be a controversial statement. Um, hands down. Yeah. So I think it takes everything that 13 and 15 were trying to do and perfect it with characters that everyone loves. Um, yep. uh, the only thing missing is you don't get the suplex to train, but I digress <laughs> on that. Um, That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> they did Hell House so, have a feeling they might do it in another in a future game. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great. Um, yeah, so uh, Tom, uh, uh, we finally did it. We waited for you to finish. Got two hours out of this. Um, why don't you close us out with the uh, normal outro here? So, 
if you're listening to this now, I'm probably going to release this next Wednesday. So um, make sure you catch our podcast every other Monday. Um, at the time of releasing this, it'll probably be after the next podcast. So you may hear us talk about it uh, on the normal episodes. But uh, if you want to talk about Final Fantasy VII with us, we're more than more than happy to reach out to us on Twitter at GameVaultPod. Um, we're also on Instagram at Game Vault Podcast, and we uh, have a Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash thegamevaultpodcast. Obviously, we tried to get all of the things to match, but it didn't work out so well. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be live streaming as well. Um, I believe the next live stream you'd be seeing after this is Truckin' Thursdays with Mark. 10-4, good buddy. <laughs> And Jenny will be would be streaming probably Dead by Daylight the next day. Um, so stay tuned to our Twitter. Uh, we usually have a pin tweet with our our stream schedule, but that may change. But for the most part, it's kind of right. But um, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what you think of the game. Let us know if you think we were totally wrong in saying it was good. I'm interested to hear why people didn't like it. So um, yeah, uh, and send all of your angry comments to at diaquino122 <laughs> yes yes and uh you know uh you know real quick stranger damies um every wednesday um so would have went up with this one at the same time um all podcasts uh places itunes google play you know i believe spotify maybe maybe not spotify has a little bit of an entry point and i don't remember if i did it correctly so either way you you can just go to strangerdamies.podbean.com and get it no problem. Um, yeah, and they call us a movie comes out every Thursday. Um, that's uh, they call us a movie.podbean.com and all the other podcast services. Um, so yeah, that's the main Damie family of podcasts there. Um, the three of them that we mentioned. Um, so uh, uh, before you know, Tom does his sign off. I want to personally thank you guys for um, you know uh, doing this. Um, I love doing spoiler casts. Me and Tom did one for Final Fantasy 15. Um, uh, back a while ago on uh, I believe it might be on the main Damie YouTube I'm not sure but anyway um, I, I love doing stuff like this and um, you know I look forward to doing this in about seven years right guys yeah, yeah. seven years when we get part two can't I wait hope not <laughs> <laughs> knowing knowing Nomura it's possible so we'll see what yeah. happens I'll actually go out on a limb before your final line and say, I think it's out in two and a half years. I would be thrilled. I'd be thrilled. And it's going to be PS5, Xbox, you know, you know. Which means I have to buy a PS5. (laughs) We have two and a half years. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys uh, again. Uh, Jonathan, this was a lot of fun. We need to have you on more, more often. We'll talk, we'll talk Japanese games and all kinds of things. Um, And Mark, I know you're you're always up for a spoiler cast. So hopefully, a, a maybe we'll do one for Cyberpunk. Who knows? Uh, we'll see, depending on how many years it takes to beat that game. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, for Mark and John, I am Tom, and we will catch you guys in the next one.